When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. They spend 15 minutes telling me what shoes they picked. What they're trying to do is puke information and give you something to pick up. And as they see it coming, they know that's going to be part of their story. They've already structured it and they're thinking, I'm here it comes. They will tear down your bluff very, very simply. So instead of being a lie detector, be a change detector. So you can't read somebody if you don't know what's normal for them. Well, hey, everybody, it's Dr. Phil. You found your way to fill in the blanks again. And this is a really special day for me for a couple of reasons. Number one, this isn't Zoom City. We are actually in person in the podcast studio. And I have four very special people joining me today. Four really intriguing guys. First, these are the four guys that make up Behavior Panel. And if you don't know who that is, you will by the end of today and you're going to wind up going to YouTube and you're going to wind up subscribing and they're going to become part of your life. They are really special. They analyze body language, human behavior in videos of public interest on their YouTube channel. And they're the things that you're thinking about, talking about. Now, listen, these guys are nonpartisan. They don't take sides. They don't go in looking to support or not support something. They're very fact-based. They take them where they find them. And they look to educate and entertain you with their interest and expertise in communication, body language, deception detection, interrogation, resistance to interrogation, all sorts of things. And this gives you a great edge in life if you pick up some of these skills and abilities. Now, Mark Bowden is a Harvard-educated expert in human behavior and body language. He is the author of Truth and Lies, What People Are Really Thinking, and serves as the president of the National Communication Coach Association of Canada. He's highly acclaimed TEDx talk, The Importance of Being Inauthentic, continues to reach millions of people. Scott Rouse is a behavior analyst and body language expert. He holds multiple certificates in advanced interrogation training. He's been trained alongside the FBI, Secret Service, U.S. Military Intelligence, and Department of Defense. He is an expert consultant to law enforcement, as well as successful CEOs, attorneys, executives, and entertainers. Also with me is Greg Hartley. Now, Greg is an author and a senior corporate executive whose expertise as an interrogator earned him honors with the U.S. Army, businesses, private investigators, attorney, human resource professionals, and the media have relied on his knowledge of human behavior and body language for a long time. Last but not least is Chase Hughes. He served in the U.S. military for 20 years and now is a trial consultant as well as teaches interrogation, sales, influence, and persuasion. And he is the best-selling author of The Ellipsis Manual. He has also developed a groundbreaking world-first interrogation behavior analysis tool that revolutionized law enforcement training in the U.S., and we're going to talk about all of these things today. So, gentlemen, welcome. 
Thanks Thank for having you. us. Love it. It's great to be here. I know all of this stuff, but it's even impressive to go over it for the hundredth time and talk about it. And when it's collective with all of you together, it's pretty intimidating. So be gentle with me, okay? <laughs> we'll do our best. Well, thanks for getting us all together. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. It's, yeah. it's great. You guys have been doing your show on YouTube for two and a half years. Coming up two years. Coming up on two years. Yeah. And this week is the first time you've all four been in the room together because this all started about the time the pandemic started, right? Exactly. Yeah. As a exactly. matter of fact, that's probably why we started because we all knew each other kind of in passing or had worked together at a distance, but it was an opportunity for us to say, hey, how can we do something that's productive and fun? And we just got online and started talking about this and thought it'll be fun if people like it. And we were so excited when we got a thousand views. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A thousand views. Oh, yeah. Can you imagine? Yeah. 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 It's interesting that you all are in the same general field, but each of you have a definite specialty. You each have a specific lane. They're complementary, but they don't overlap completely. So you all have a different approach to analyzing the same person, the same situation, the same communication. What these gentlemen do is they will take an interview, videos from the news or wherever it might pop up, and really break it down and tell you, you hear what the person is saying, you might miss what's between the lines, what's being said non-verbally, what's being communicated through syntax, facial expressions, all of that, which oftentimes can be more to the heart of the matter than the words that maybe have been written for them by a lawyer or a speechwriter or something like that. So I think they get really to the bottom line. So what I'm going to do today is I don't want to talk about any specific speech. I'm not going to play any clips because you do that so well on your channel. What I want to do is for the average person, I'd like to blow up some of the myths that people labor under. I'd like to talk about some of the fundamentals that people can use to give them an advantage in life, whether it's dealing with their teenagers, their kids, their spouses, their coworkers, or whatever, that might be red flags that would tell them, okay, I'm not going to walk around being a human lie detector. But is this something I need to pay more attention to, that I need to be more careful about? There's so much out there right now on the internet with people saying, you know, if this happens, it means this. If that happens, it means this. What are the things that frustrate you guys the most in terms of the myths that are out there that you hear people saying, they say if you do this, they say if you do that? What are the biggest misconceptions about deception detection lie detection, getting to the truth. What do you see out there the most that you just shake your head at and say, oh my God. I think one of the most famous ones is you break eye contact when you're lying. Yeah. Right. Everyone, th oh, he broke eye contact. I asked him so-and-so and he broke eye contact. Well, the, the thing about that, the, the truth is, the liar knows that you're probably most likely under the impression that breaking eye contact means they're lying. So right out of the gate, they're gonna try to, to lock eyes with you even more. And that's one of the first things we all look for and talk about for is sure. how they look at you and the blink rate goes low because their brain wants to make sure you believe them. 
And if you don't believe them, they start adding what we call qualifiers. So there's that pause where you ask them, you can ask a question and just wait. And they, and they, and they answer it and then you just wait. And if they're a little nervous, they'll start adding the qualifiers to them. So, so that's if, one of if the I, biggies. If I pile on to something he just said, we all think that when somebody breaks eye contact, they're lying. But while every person that's listening to us right now should do this, try to think of five words from your favorite song. Now, what happened? Your eyes are moving around in your head as you try to think of that. Well, if you ask me a question that requires me to think and I move my eyes around because I'm looking for information, that's a good sign that I'm digging for information, not that I'm lying. But people have been so taught that one myth that it's probably the most destructive of all. Okay, so when people break eye contact, they're not hiding. That doesn't mean that they're escaping your gaze, right. that they're hiding. So what does it mean? They're thinking. If you were to ask me, if I would ask you, what's 200,000 minus four plus three times 18? And you went, let me see, one for 200,000. And you kept looking, it'd be weird because we know we go, geez, I don't know. I mean, that's, that's tough. You have, to, you have to think, you have to break away and think about it for a minute. Not that you necessarily go here every time and it means you're thinking or there every time it means something else, but you'll, you'll break eye contact and look around and then come back to them. Well, there are patterns to eye movement that are discernible by individual. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I, one big thing that I would say is that instead of being in the business of lie detection, I think people who want to learn about this, and hopefully everybody does, because it's if you deal with humans, then this stuff is impactful for people. So instead of being a lie detector, be a change detector. I look for how a person normally acts, and I'm going to look for changes from that normal behavior. And I think that's really important. If you're in sales, you're a leader, you're a parent, and seeing changes in these small baselines is bigger and better than anything else I think that, that a person could learn. And I think you've got to think about how you've been educated by the world around you to think about people. So we often say, well, they were shifty. You know, they were shifting around in their chair or their eyes were shifting around. And we've got this kind of what we call priming, this, this primary idea that if somebody moves around with their eyes or their body, they must be, be being deceitful. Now that, we know that's, that's not true, but society kind of tells us it should be. So sometimes we've got to look at the situation, stand back from it, and kind of go, what do I think today rather than what does history tell me about behavior? Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. The first page of a book never tells the full story. And those news alerts and headlines, like the ones we get on our phones, don't even scratch the surface of what the story is really all about. Stories are like people, multi-layered and complex. It takes some digging to find the truth, but when we find it, it can change our world. We like to dig. The news on Merritt Street, essential television. All right, so number one is eye contact. Number two is this whole preconceived notion about shiftiness and all. When In fact, what you've got to do is get a baseline right. on the person. You can't really tell unless you're looking for change. And you don't know if it's a change unless you know change from what. So you can't read somebody if you don't know what's normal for them. 
And, right. and right. you just opened a whole box when you say that, because now you're getting into two schools of body language. The absolutist that when I scratch my nose, it means X, or when I blink my right eye, it means X. And then the, the baseliners who say, what does that mean? Why did that person change that? And then and you dig. been doing that. Right. Yeah, but there are some point. things that I would say are universal. Yes. So if you look up right now a YouTube compilation of people getting the crap scared out of them, like somebody jumps out of trash cans and stuff, everyone reacts the same. The shoulders go up. These muscles right here, sternocleidomastoid muscles kind of come out. The, the lips draw back. The arms come up. The wrists come together. The whole body starts protecting arteries. Every artery gets a little block from it. So there are some things that we do that are pretty universal, and we're looking for subtle cues of that. And when does that little fear behavior happen? Does it happen when a person's just talking about something they're scared of? Or does it happen when they're saying, no, I'm not scared of that, or I didn't do the crime, or I didn't do something? And so those are those are important to look at. You know, I do body language reading a bit like you surf the internet. You know, it's a general kind of world, yeah. but every now and again, you come across something and you go, what's that? Like, that's odd. I've never seen that before. Like that's different for them or the situation. And what I do is double click on that or single click on that. I go, let's go deeper into that bit and investigate that more, ask more questions about it, think more about it. Really great body language reading is really just that, seeing the differences and investigating those differences and finding out what a potential answer might be to what's going on. And I, I think the one universal that you can't overstate is just fight or flight. We all know everyone's been, something's frightened you, something has angered you. That changes something. And it changes the way we speak, the cadence at which we speak, our choice of words maybe, changes how we move because we get glitchy. We move, our blank rates may increase. So there are a ton of things you can learn. If you're sitting thinking, hey, how do I know when I'm up, I've upset somebody? A blank rate's a good indicator. That's one of those things where your body's going, okay, something's up and it starts to blink. So they, I, I agree with you, Chase. There's some really good, not absolutes, but pretty good general things. And you can learn all those by looking what fight or flight does and the impact it has on the body. Yeah. All right. Well, sticking with myths for a minute, we've said breaking eye contact. We hear a lot about when people look up to the left mm -hmm. or down to the right or whatever, they're accessing one thing or another. Well, let's talk about that for a minute. What does that mean? Because I see that all the time. So I'm the eye movement guy in the group. And, and I, I started studying it when I was in my 20s. And what I'll tell you is there's no absolute in that again. What will you do is you start asking questions. So if I ask you a question, every, everybody that hears this can, can do this I'll themselves. Try it on Phil. Yeah. Maybe. So relax. Let your eyes do what they do. <laughs> <laughs> Go to sleep. Yeah. So what's, what's the fifth word of the Star Spangled Banner? Oh, hell, I don't know. Let's see. There, um, there you go. That's what I'm after. Internal dialogue. So, but actually, he's in between his brow ridge and his cheekbone. On, and, and if you can't see, Doc, he, he just looked to his left in between mm -hmm. his brow ridge and his cheekbone. And where I would typically, what I'm looking for is how do, where does he go to look for something he heard, something he remembers that he heard? Now, if I ask you, from here, I need to find the nearest Wendy's and give me some directions with visual cues, what would you say? I don't go to Wendy's, so I don't know. <laughs> okay, to the nearest Harley-Davidson store. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I know where that is. <laughs> yeah, so, so what you do when you ask that question, and you're, you're asking, by the way, a single sense cha channel question. You can't ask about a concert, like if you talk about your son's concert. There's just too much stuff going on. There's visual, there's auditory, there's feelings, there's all that. But when you ask a question that's single sensory, hey, tell me about where the nearest Wendy's is and I need some landmarks, the person has to rifle through their brain to get that information. And so you develop a pattern in their brain for where they're going with their eyes. Now, it, if you don't know how to ask those questions, you can't get the right answers. Because if you're polluting your questions and making them not single sensory channel, it's difficult. But if you get it down to where you're asking good, clear questions, there's a discernible pattern. We watched a woman on your show today. 
boom, boom, boom. Every time you'd ask her a visual question, her eyes would go above her brow ridge and to her left. When you ask her a question that forced her to answer, also a young man on the show talking about a murder. When you were talking to him and you ask him a question that he had to think of the answer, his eyes would go off to his right versus his left. So what we're not looking for is up left means lying, up right means truth. We're looking for where does this person go for a memory? And then I'm going to ask them a question. And when they should go back to that same spot and they go somewhere else, I'm going to go, why did that happen? And I'm going to dig in. There are two close to absolutes there. When a person looks down and to their left, they're having an internal voice, an internal conversation, working on math, maybe trying to think of what should I tell Doc so he gets off my back. And then down and to the right, which we associate with emotion. And you can see people who are emotional's head tilting down to their right, that kind of thing. But other than that, that's pretty much it. You can learn it in an hour. Okay, so recapping for the listeners and the viewers, down and to the left is kind of an absolute for? Internal conversations. So what's 15% of 980? Watch your eyes drift as you try to, you'll probably first try to do math from third grade, nine times nine is 81, that kind of stuff. But then you'll find yourself having an internal conversation. May also, that down and to the left internal conversation may occur when you need to answer a hard question. How do I answer this? Down to the right's emotion. Think about last funeral, last happy thing. Find your eyes drifting. Long answer, but. Well, no, I think that's what people want to know because if they're talking to their kids, like, where were you last night? And if they misinterpret things, that can really be a problem. I think judges do that some. I think amateurs do that a lot. And that's why I think if we clear some of these things up, it would really help people. I don't think they're going to be experts at this after we finish talking today, but it can keep them from misjudging some people and dropping the hammer on their kid because they looked up and to the right. Yeah. Yeah. Because they go, ah, you know. I read that's a lie. Yeah. Yeah. And we see a lot of that. We see the up left means you're lying. And and there are movies that have done it. I won't mention the names of the movies. There are movies that have called it out and they were wrong. And it it is actually, these guys will tell you, when we first got together, they would say, I don't believe in the eye movement because they've heard all that, not this. And there is, there is method. I believed it. in the in the in the base in, in the, the base. base. Oh yeah, doing the baseline. Yeah, but in, 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 of all that, there there are no absolutes in that. That's right. I mean, most of the time, most of the time, people look down here, and you have to say most of the time when they're looking yep. for internal internal dialogue, and when they're grieving and or feel those things, most of the time they'll do this, but not every time. We're all not the same, as you know. So that that was my problem with it when people were, and when Greg started that. He goes, okay, let's go to Waffle saying? House. Because we, when he's in town, we always go to Waffle House. We're working on something. So we go to Waffle House. He said, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to ask you about Because he talked to her for a few minutes. He said, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to ask you this. And she's going to look down here. And I'm going to ask you that. And she's going to look up here. I'm going to ask you this. Just look up there. I was like, okay, Hot Rod. Let's, let's see how that works. I'm, this fascinates me. Let me see you do it. And so he was talking to, to the waitress. And he said, so you're from here? Yeah. You know, isn't that near the, the Hermitage? Where's the Hermitage? Is that close to here? Is, or isn't that just over this way? And she went, Hermitage. And, and he called everywhere she would look. She looked there. And I said, okay, you got me. That's, I will I'm, admit, I'm, I, when I first started doing our show on YouTube, I was le- way less of a believer than I am now. Just, just since yeah. listening to how Greg profiles it. And then every time we get a new video, I'm like, all right, let's see if Greg's actually right. And then, every, yeah. of course, every time it's... I'm looking. Well, I I think the thing is, it's not necessarily about knowing more. It's about thinking better about what you know. That's the key. And so to your point, Dr. Phil, um, people are going to jump to judgments because how would we get on in life if we couldn't make a quick decision? Your kid's telling you a story, you jump to a judgment because you're interested in their safety. You want the best for them. 
But can you just have some time to pull back a little bit and think, what might else be going on here? Can I ask that question again? Can I see again what their response is? Can I double click and dive into that bit of behavior that I saw? Oh, I saw them cross their arms when I asked them that. Well, now I might know it doesn't absolutely mean that they're closed to this idea. They could be making a decision about what I'm saying. They could be cold. So maybe I can now ask them, are you close to this idea? Are you, are you decided on this? Or, you know, how's the temperature for you in the room? What, what this does for us is to help think better about other people and therefore really just get closer to them, yeah. to be yeah. honest. Any other big miss or should we move on to some things that people can use? Let me do one more. All right. When I'm training entrepreneurs and for, from 2011 to 2017, I was the entrepreneur in residence at the Nashville Entrepreneur Center. And what I did there was I trained the new entrepreneurs and new startups how to pitch. And I've got these in-depth studies by, and I would film not only the people that, that were pitching, I would film the people that were watching the pitches. And, the, and I, could, I couldn't tell you exactly who was going, going to invest, but I knew who was going to get a meeting, who was going to ask these people, the, the pitchers, for a meeting. And one thing that, I, that came out of that was, which is hard to train the entrepreneurs in, in is understanding that the people who are watching them pitch, be it in a, a conference room or a huge crew, we'd have huge crowds of these investors come from all over the world to watch these pitches. And there'd be sometimes 500 of them in a room we'd have. And the ones that most people would want to keep pitching to are the ones that were looking at them like this. And they would just be smiling at them, looking at them. And the ones that were doing like this, they wouldn't even pay attention to them. But what's happening at that point is the person who's smiling at you, they're there hanging out with their schmooze and they're there for another reason. They're not going to invest anything. Or they're with their money person that does all the investing and they're just there too. Because when they get up in their head and they start thinking about is this going to work in five to seven years? Like he's saying, is that going to, or she's saying, is that going to work? Are they going to be able to pull that off? Is that team he's got there or she's got there? Is that going to happen? Is this financially look like it's going to happen? I, you know, I've got to go back and tell everybody that I'm investing $1.2 million or $8 million in this. I got to go tell Google I'm putting all this money in this. I wonder if that's going to work for me. So we're seeing that dialogue go physically on them that's going on in here. And these people read it as, as negative. But when you zero in on those people who will, cross their legs up, they'll get away from me, and they're, they're trying to decide, is this guy full of it or not? Or is this girl full of it or not? As they're looking at you and making those decisions, they don't look anything like you would want them to look, like smile, like, yeah, I'm going to admit, because not one person that, that has done it that I've seen so far since 2011, since my stu study started, not one person smiling at them was the one to invest. Their money person would invest. That, that was a different story. So I'd see who was smiling big and who was around them doing this, and quite often, just to their right would be, for I or the right, I don't know, would be their, their financial person that would say, okay, we need to do this or, or don't do it. That's the only time I saw that with the person that was investing was actually the, taking advice from the person next to them. Yeah, I think some of it comes down to if you're reading somebody's sincerity, just common sense of reading their behavior like you're talking about. If I see somebody and I say, I'm having a party next Saturday, would you like to come? And they say, yeah, sure, see you there. They ain't coming. Right. They didn't take time to think about their schedule. But if somebody says, well, now, wait a minute, when is it? Saturday night, 7.30? Yeah. All right. And they say, well, okay, hang on. Let me get my phone out and say, all right, what's the address? And how do you get there? And like, what kind of party? How how should I dress? Yeah, is there parking? And what's the dress code? And right, they're internalizing it. Right. They're coming. 
Yep. Because yeah. they want to know, I don't want to show up in a duck suit if, yeah. I'm, <laughs> if this is a full dress thing. Right. Do we yeah. bring Uber or can you park or what? If they're getting all the details, they're coming. They're planning yeah. with you. Yeah, that's yeah. common yeah. sense. Yeah. And sometimes yeah. that just goes over yeah. people's heads. You've got to read commonsensically that's what right. the person's given back to you. Well, I think one of the things is you just brought up cadence. When you're talking to somebody, when you ask a question, they jump to the answer very quickly. They prepared that answer, mm -hmm. unless it's just a simple, "Hey, do you want a hot dog?" No, you know whatever that is. But if it's something that takes some thought and they jump to it, you should be suspicious because you should think, "Why the hell did they have that plan?" You know, that's the way you look at it. But if you get to another one and the person usually hops along, hops along, and slows too much, that might mean something too. So your point about common sense is important because we're looking at how do people think, how do they talk. I knew a guy when I lived in New Jersey, you could ask him, how's he doing a day? Fine. And I would say, what do you think about? Well, I'm trying to figure out what do you mean by that? Well, I meant a pleasantry, but to him, it meant something. So I think you have to take the person into account. Let's look into that idea of common sense, because it means there must be some commonality. Like, you know, we're all in North America at the moment. There's a commonality right. around that. But like, I'm from England. So I'm not American. No shit. I thought you from Texas. No, I'm not. Weird I'm, 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 I'm glad that I managed to fool you for so, yeah. for so long. But yeah. I'm yeah. thinking Austin. And so there's that commonality. So people in different cultures do stuff differently. There, there may be some universals, but when you get into a different culture and you might be interviewing somebody and going, well, what's going on in their mind? I've got to know how common is their world to mine. And therefore, stuff that is common sense to me is not necessarily common sense to them. Now, look, you, you may not have all the information to be able to work out what's going on, but at least by going, I'm probably not common to this person. I might get some stuff wrong about this. That's just better thinking. And the better you think, the, the, the smarter you are at whatever level, the better life you're going to have. Well, I that doesn't suggest. even, you, you don't have to think about that as being UK. You can go from Utah, Wyoming, Montana to Georgia, Alabama. Totally. Yeah, everything's so different. Even subtleties of language that we've picked up over the ages. Oh, yeah. I saw it with juries all the time. I would have lawyers that were very personable with the jury. They would build a relationship with the jury and come in and say, good morning, maybe make a joke or a personal reference with the jury. And that would sell fine in Georgia. Texas, Oklahoma, Arkansas, they would go do that in Minnesota. And the jury would look at them like, what are you doing? They were like, why, yeah. why are you, there's a barrier here. You're you and I'm me. And they would get really taken aback by that. They were not warm and fuzzy with somebody they didn't know. In mock trials, they would say, I, he made me really uncomfortable. Yeah. I didn't feel good about that. I, I lived in 11 states, and there's no commonality when it comes to that, from California to Georgia to South Carolina. It just is different. Well, I think the best, biggest rule to all this is when you think everybody else is like you, <laughs> you make some big mistakes. Which is most people. Which is most people sure, think. Yeah. They everybody else thinks like them, and the quickest way to figure out what someone secretly thinks is to ask them ask what them. they think everybody else thinks. Right? Yeah, that's <laughs> right. the parent thing. Is I I know what I did when I was young, so my kid must be up to no good. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, looking at it from a psychological standpoint, which looked at how people think and construct their answers, I've always found 
these are not absolutes, but they are things that seem pretty consistent indicators in terms of how people answer if they're being deceptive. And I'm curious if you guys have had the same experience. When I'm talking to someone and it turns out that they are being deceptive, and I go back and look at their verbal patterns, I do see things pretty consistently like they try to buy time. If I ask them a question, people that are trying to deceive me tend to repeat the question a whole lot more than people who aren't. Great indicator. Like I'll say, were you at the mall last night around 10 o'clock? Was I at the mall last night around 10 o'clock? Well, you heard the question. <laughs> Clearly, you're repeating it. Yeah. They yeah. can buy five seconds. Do you guys see that? Oh, exactly. yeah. Real Quite often. Real yeah. Another, another common thing is where people will hide time. They'll try to get time, and as they tell you a story, they'll hide time. If there was a bank robbed, and then uh, this person ended up, um, they were found at, at, their, at a grocery store close to that bank when it was robbed. So what did you do here? Well, I, we, we came by the bank. We definitely came by the bank. Um, I went to uh, my sister's house and said hello to her for a minute. And then after that, we pretty much just went on home. So what happened in this pretty much just went on home right there is what I want to, I want to find out. What, let's talk about what's going on in there. And that's where you start bombing them with, not bombing them, you start getting in there and asking questions around that because there's hidden time. And those are what we, we call, I believe, Joe Navarro is. is Joe and Jack. Joe and Jack. Jack. Actually, is the one to come up with the term verbal bridge. Yep. So it bridges you over that time, and you can hide a lot of time that way and get a lot of things done in this time that didn't exist. There are sometimes when a, a person only repeats part of the question, and I think that's sometimes honest, and it's for clarification. So like if you said, "What were you at the mall at 10 o'clock last night? And I said, 10 o'clock? No. So that's kind of, I think partial repetition is more likely to be honest behavior and the more of the question that gets repeated, I think the more likely it is uh, to be deceptive. How about answering really fast, really quickly? Yep. Yep. So on the show that we just did with you, we had a, a guy who was asked a question, um, do you forgive her? And very quickly he said, <laughs> yes. And that, for me, that rings an alarm bell because you've already prepared that. You didn't have any time to think about that. I mean, that's, forgiveness is a very complex emotion, isn't it? And he's already got his, he, he almost knows that's going to be a question that's being asked too fast. And he knows what the answer should be. He knows what the answer yeah. should be. That's right. yeah. Absolutely. That's a so, socially desirable yeah. response. Yeah. I, I think the other thing is remember that all of these things have indicators. You, that's a classic that we teach. We teach people, look, look for a person who doesn't usually, because if they always, always repeat the question, it means nothing. But if they only do it around hot topics, it means something. To, to Scott's point, we're talking about verbal bridging. They're word patterns people use. And then after that. And so you can learn these things. To Scott's point of hiding time is look for places there's an anomaly in the flow. That's what you're looking for, a change in the flow. And you'll find it. I also find with great consistency, people that over-explain irrelevant details. Too much yeah. Like <laughs> if I'm asking them about what happened at 10 o'clock at the mall, and they spend 15 minutes telling me what shoes they picked. Yeah. I have a term for that, and I call it chaff and redirect. You know, you know yeah. C-130 flying, and you're, there's a missile coming. They dump all this garbage out of the back, flares and stuff, so the missile will go. 
what they're trying to do is puke information and give you something to pick up. And if you ask, oh, really? I love those shoes. You forgot to keep going down the path. Yeah, yeah. It's and like it's throwing like a out a shiny right. object. But it's, it's like it'll distract you. Your eyes will go to it. And now they've got you off on something Really else. common. And even yeah. as an interrogator, it feels satiating yeah, sometimes. Yeah. It feels yeah. like I'm yeah. getting a oh, lot of information. Oh, I guess that's a good thing. Yeah. I've, yeah, yeah. I've been there. Double to, click on that. Non-pertinent. To, yeah. Let's talk about what we saw today for a second. When, we, when you asked that, the guy about backing the car in yeah. to that parking spot, yep. that still bothers me. I want to talk about that a second. A lot came with that answer, and he didn't really get to the answer until toward the end. And with all that stuff in there, he just sort of placed it in there. I'm not placing any blame on him. Or anything. I'm just saying I found that to be odd. I think that could be culture. That could be culture, you know, about why are you asking me this question and that kind of thing. And, and maybe I've been asked this question before, but I agree with you typically. A lot if a going person, on there. If a person scatters a bunch of stuff on, you know, when you talk about negotiation, you use terms like scattering junk on my lawn, those kinds of things. It's the same idea. I want you to do something to think something's important that isn't. So you leave that alone. But if you and I had come out of there, we were talking to this guy. I mean, you go in and say, okay, let's talk about what's happening here. And we came out of there after that. I would say, man, I'd be adamant about it. Listen, we need to go watch this again. Listen to this guy. Let's keep talking to him around that. Because to me, that just didn't, a couple of things didn't sound right. But if I put all that together and look at his blink rate and his respiration and his word patterns and everything else, it seemed to support it. What bothered me about that, he said, I, I hung out with her there all the time. Yeah. And then he said, Then yeah. I asked him about, did she back her car in? Well, I was only there with her twice. No, I, well, I got- Wait a minute. You just said you hung out with her there all the time. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think- Now you just said you were, were there doing, twice. What they were doing there with mom on Zoom was probably not a topic he wanted to talk yeah, about. Yeah. Right, that's right, kind of right. how I took that. Yeah, yeah me too. Because I think they were in there smoking dope and yeah, other yeah, things, yeah, and he yeah, didn't want to get into that a yeah, lot, yeah, so sure. I didn't press it, but- sure. That's why I thought it was culture. He's trying to avoid a certain topic. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, who knows? Maybe we missed something there because it's on the way it's going. I think another pretty close to absolute are convincing statements. Mm, yes. I don't know what y'all call them. Resume? Yeah, uh, resume yeah, statements. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Like, I love those. Did you steal the money? I mean, I, I'm an why would I steal member money? of this I'm community. a deacon at the church. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Anytime I flew in somewhere to do business to somebody and they picked me up at the airport and on the way in, they said, I'm a deacon at the church. Turn the car around. <laughs> Get the cuffs. <laughs> take Get the take cuffs. me back. And it's not because they're a deacon. It's because that's the first thing. It's the thing they're that's telling the you first, off the yeah. top of the... Well, it's, it's holy ground, right? Holy ground as well as resume statements. When people go, you know, I, I'm a religious person. It's the same mindset, but they take yeah. holy ground as God is my witness. Those yeah. kinds of things are I swear great to God. indicators. Who came I swear out, to God. Who came out of the gate with that with us? Oh, yeah, yeah. Don Wells. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I swear to God. Next thing out of their mouth is a lie. I don't give a shit who they are. <laughs> I'm always like, okay, write this one down. Yeah. <laughs> one that we love is Prince Andrew when he would say, well, in the Royal Navy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so he's already set up that anything that he says after that should be given status, should be approved of, because he's put it in that framework of, you know, the great Royal Navy and the Queen, and therefore we should all go, oh, that's fine then. That's that's okay. And and he only does it because it does work a lot of the time. And because you can't possibly know what goes on. Yeah, there. you don't know what happens in, the in Navy. my club. And it's the Royal Navy, and the Queen's lovely. Yeah, who's going to question that? Right. Yeah. Right. Well, luckily, Maitland, Emily Maitland did. She did a great job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She really was good. We'll she was question that. Fabulous. She really was. We we've really got some favorite interviewers. You can yeah. tell Gail, we love her. Yeah. Oh man, she's, she's awesome. Yeah. She yeah. is awesome. Well, Thank she you. lets people talk, and the more they talk, the deeper they get. We talk a lot. When she's talking to R. Kelly, it makes the hair on my arm oh, stand yeah. up. 
that oh, was yeah. the, that was the we coolest thing I've ever seen. That's the most badass thing I've seen. Where he gets up and starts coming over there real tall at her, and she just keeps Doesn't talking. Oh, to cool. Him. She says, she just, "Now, Robert, I love yeah, that." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He has no idea how much he did not want her to stand up. Oh, really? <laughs> So let me sure. tell you, oh, that was that. Sure. yeah, he did Dear not Lord. want to tie you into know, she that. She shifts her leg back, ready to do it as oh, well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah we were leg goes back. back. Like, she's going to stand. She's going to stand. So, so she, get ugly in here. you know, he was yeah, like, she yeah, is one of my dearest friends, and he did not want to get sideways with oh, her. We love, we love her. her. Just tell yeah. her. I will yeah. tell her. She is great, yeah. and she's good people. Is she? Oh my gosh! Yeah, she's as good as they come. What are other things people can look for that? They can really say, I need to stop and double click on this one. I'll give you a nonverbal one. All Instead right. of like a chronology or one yep. of those would be great. But the blink rate, which we, yep. we talk about a lot on the panel, I'm kind of obsessed with it because it's we make eye contact all the time. So it's it's unconscious, it's reliable, and we're already looking in that direction when we're talking to somebody. So uh, the average blink rate in the conversations around 12 to 15, give or take. And that's kind of just a normal conversation. And the higher blink rate goes, someone's blinking more often. So they're, it's speeding up. So per minute, we go from about 15, the higher we go up, the more stressed a person is in a conversation. And I've seen blink rates in excess of 100 on the behavior panel where, go, where their blink rate's pretty normal. And right as one little topic comes up, it goes from like a 20 blink rate to like 95, 100. And it is such a reliable in-the-moment barometer of what's going on. And on the opposite side of that, when blink rate drops, that's pure focus. That means a person's, it, there could be focused on something good. And we tend to focus on two main things, which are something that's threatening and something that's valuable. So you're watching a great movie or there's, you're, you're in your bedroom late at night and you hear, you hear the door open. And your blink rate goes to zero. Mm -hmm. Go so, get data. Uh, so those are the two things we focus on. But it's so great. You can watch it in uh, reality TV. You can watch it on Judge Judy. You can see it anywhere and, <laughs> and predict blink rate, so, uh, predict stress. I'll add something to that. Not just blink rate, but I, we talked about eye contact and breaking eye contact being a myth. This is not good when a person stares you dead in the eyes. Yeah. When I was young, I didn't have the right words for it. I would call it glossy. We now call it the romancer. And the romancer is, I just got to pay so much attention to you to make sure you're believing what I'm doing. And you'll see what I call taffy pulling, where they may turn their head, but their eyes still make eye contact. Too much eye contact's bad. Yeah, well, y'all commented on uh, Aaron, the young girl I interviewed in uh, prison yeah. in Texas. Mm, scary. She didn't blink for an hour. I called her blink right yesterday. Yeah, I mean, she just like froze yeah. right there, which was really eerie. Um, I'll bet be in that room with that. I wonder how her eyes were not dried up. Seriously, yeah, she's an odd, odd little duck. Yeah, well, she had just burned her entire family to death after shooting them and killing them with a machete. Yes, it's not a usual action. Yeah, one of my favorites in that video you're talking about is she said, "Kill my parents," and she punctuated with her eye. The only time she flashed her brows or her eyelids was that. Really odd. She's a Strange one. One big one I learned from Scott was fading facts. Yeah, that's a good mm. one too. And that that has saved me in my personal interviews, interviewing potential employees uh, for my company. Right. I've heard it a few times, and I would never have spotted it without us being on the panel and, and going through this every week. We wow. will you go through that? 
Yeah, explain that to people yeah. because that's great one, recognizable. Right? Once you know to look for it, it's All recognizable. Right. If I'm telling you something and, and you ask me whatever the question is, and the question is this long, and I start saying, yeah, we were here earlier. And we came, we came down the stairs. We saw Mariana down there. And then we came in. Danny, Danny hadn't even come in the room yet. And that's when uh, I left these guys and went uh, downstairs back to my car. So as you talk, it gets quieter and quieter. Sometimes it's really big, like we saw on uh, Candace Wells. And sometimes it, it takes a minute to get down that way. It's not they run out of energy and calming down. It's that their brain goes, man, you this we shouldn't be doing this. Yeah. We should not don't, be don't doing say, this. They lose faith yeah. in their own yeah. story. Even if you and play they, back Scott just now, the his body shrink. Yeah. When, yeah. And their body gets yeah. well, they may even small. cover their mouth when they're doing it. Because as they as as they see that coming, they know that's coming in the structuring of their sentence. We talked about sentence structure earlier. And as they see it coming, they know that's gonna be part of their story. They've already structured it and they're thinking, I'm here it comes, here it comes, here it comes. Damn, here, okay. Well, and here's, here's something they might throw in with that is the look, is the nostrils of disgust as they smell their own lie. They're, They're even disgusted. So that's when the nostrils flare out, yeah. the nose kind of wrinkles up, and it can be super quick, yeah. but you'll see it. They'll do fading facts, and then there's a little disgust like, oh, my lie's so bad. It's <laughs> yeah. so smelly. Yeah. Well, I, and I like the one I always call re request for approval is raise your brow when you're asking questions. And then as soon as you, believe them, that brow just drops. I watched it today. It was fun to see. I think another that is a really useful tool is the mind virus. Mm -hmm. My favorite. I've seen interrogators mess this up so much right. because they actually bluff and you can't bluff when you're doing it. No, and there's right. a thin line there, right? So people understand planting a mind virus is like saying, is there any reason somebody would have told me they saw you on that corner last night at 10 o'clock? Okay, that's planting a mind virus. Bluffing is saying, One of the we, know. Have you we, seen know. we know you were. We know yeah. you were on that corner last night because a neighbor said so. If they weren't there, you've lost that's control right. of the interview. Yeah. You've lost all momentum now because you lied and you're caught in a lie. Remember, remember, interrogation is about approaches. It's about psychology and getting. And one of the levers we called we know all is we come in with a file. It looks like we know a bunch of stuff. And we would then claim to know something. And I would do exactly that. Is any reason you would have been on the corner of boom, boom. And I would always teach my guys the number one failure mode is that last step you take too far. You go from we, all, yeah. we know all to we don't know. So even yeah. a folder, uh, just a a notebook or a folder full of random forensic looking documents that says DNA or traffic cameras or something like that on it. That folder in itself can sit there and just be a mind virus throughout the entire yeah. interview. Yep. And one thing with the mind virus, I think it's important to set it up. So like if there's a murder in a neighborhood, I want to set this up really, uh, really carefully to where it has maximum power. So I'm going to say, uh, John, thanks for coming in today. I'm really glad you're here. We've got officers ever since last night canvassing the entire neighborhood, talking to every single person that they can, and they've got a ton of information that's just flooding in right now. Ring so I'm going to set it up there. Yep. Yeah, the Ring yep. doorbell yep. camera videos. There's a ton of stuff coming in right now. And John, I do like you as a person, uh, but please, I, I want you to think very, very carefully before you answer this question. And then I'll throw the mind virus question out. And I think it's got a lot more punch. Oh when yeah, you, when you set it up, you have like to frame that. it. For we sure. yeah. we talk about that and, and we we compare. It's like comparing motorcycles or cars with you guys. 
about what we've got in our in our packets. I, I call it the thud factor. The louder that thing is, boy, the more power it has because has you walk in, boom, and you throw it on the thing. And they as they they may not see it right then, but they know something big is in there. And you'll just talk, and they'll see their name on this and a yep. bunch of files in there. I had Burger King coupons in mine well, there, <laughs> at it, one point. Well, it's and, taught all over the world. That, yeah. That, Technique is taller. And those little, even back when there were DVDs were big, I still got these. And you can just peel the tape off and then put whatever it is, their their full name, yep. their first, middle, and last name, put it in that little pile too. It's bang, put it down on there and, and yep. wrap it in a little plastic and have it sitting there. And you don't have to say anything about it, but the, but they'll be they'll be looking at it. I don't ever put it in their reach where they can reach and get it, but they'll they'll look at it as you're talking to them and as as they're thinking, yeah. you know, they'll get loose from me and they'll just look at it. And say, you'll get well, one of shit. these as they're talking to me, like, yeah, I guess we, uh, we go over there, I guess, like every week or two, and you'll see them just, they see yeah. their name on there. And it's really fun when you go out of the room and you leave, they can't get to it, you know, they're cuffed or mm -hmm. whatever. You leave it on the table and just watch them on the camera because you, yeah, oh, yeah. it's, it's nope. crazy body language. But the opposite end to that, the kind of amateur end is, is, as you were saying, bluffing with the specific. Because the more you go, hey, well, yes. John saw you on the street corner, they will go, well, John, John's an idiot. Like who believes John? Or he's out of the country, right? Yeah, like yeah, they will they will tear down your bluff very very simply. But when you've got something that is kind of in the ether a little bit more, it's just hanging in the air. Their brain is trying to do a whole bunch of calculations of what do you have, what can I destroy? Is it credible? Is it not credible? That really you've 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 put their brain into be into too much cognitive load. First of all. Yeah, the value to me of asking that question, is there any reason somebody would have told me they saw you there last night? If they take five to seven seconds to answer that question. Oh, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. A damn good chance you they were on that corner yeah. last night because they got to think security cameras, neighbor, I mm -hmm. heard a car go by. Right. If they weren't there, they can say, yeah, that'd be really strange because I goddamn sure was not there. Yeah. Let's tie yeah. all this back together. You just did it. And when I ask you that question and you're you're talking about what they're doing in their head, watch your eyes. Your eyes are moving everywhere. Yeah. We're back to that original thing. Were you there at seven o'clock last night? Hell no, I wasn't there. Not um Right. No, 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 I wasn't. So that yeah. eye movement is showing I mean, I the cognitive load. You can see. Yeah. There. yeah, they're thinking of, okay, is it possible they could know that? And they're, they're evaluating. Well, they're running so many scenarios at the same time that then if you then jump in with a question you want to know the answer to, yep. and it's yeah. easy for them to answer, they'll just yes. blurt it out. Yeah. Well, there's yeah. a thing I call looking for change. When you get a person in a bind and you do it all the time on your show and you see them go down left, down right, down oh, left, down today. right. They're, you've got them patched because what they're doing is they're getting to an emotional state and thinking about what does that mean? And that searching for change mindset, you've got them. And it's just so powerful. When you so since we're on the podcast, today we were in the green room watching this. And Dr. Phil, you've got somebody in just about pre-confession mode oh, yeah. where they're oh, almost yeah. at this perfect point of melting. And all of us, like we were watching the Super Bowl. Yeah, we're in the green room. You got to go watch. You got it. Yeah. Like, next time we need popcorn. Yeah. We need popcorn. You got it. Because you had it right there. You had it right there and you went like this. Anyway. Well, you let her have the like, oh, space. It was beautiful. We yeah. This is what I get into a lot in interrogation. With her, I don't want to destroy her credibility. I'm wanting to determine whether she's lying about this specific thing or not, yeah. 
without destroying her entire credibility because I want her to get him out of jail because I think she lied. We agree. I believe she lied. So I want to establish her as a liar, but not destroy her as a credible witness. So there's a tightrope you're having to walk. That's tough. That's very tough. And that's why I said, tell me other lies you've told in your life. I want to establish her as a gold star liar, but not as somebody that the judge would completely dismiss as being non-credible in any fashion whatsoever. And that's a tightrope to walk. Oh, yeah. You get a lot of drama, folks, on your show, and that you have to do a lot of that because you got to keep their life intact. Yeah, yeah, and still get to the truth, and it's the, kind of crazy. The, I got a funny story to go with that video the other day, and you guys, you two already know this one. So when we first got that video and you sent it over, I watched maybe the first <laughs> minute and a half, almost two minutes. Of it, it's like six minutes long, and I was like, I'm "Done with this? This she, you know, she's being yeah. honest here. There's, yeah. there's yeah. nothing there." So I, I put it down. I, you know, and I go upstairs, and you know eat a bowl of cereal or something. Greg calls. I got a minute. What are you doing? I said, hey, man, how's it going? Did you watch that video? And I said, well, I watched the first half. He said, did you see the last half? And I said, last part? I said, no. He goes, oh, okay. Well, you need to watch the last half. And then he said, I got to go and hung up. And I was like, I missed it. I, 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 I totally saw this. And whatever's down there, I missed it. I told it. And the whole, the entire day. I was with my wife was asking me, are you okay? What's going on? I was like, mind virus. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> I don't know. I, not intentionally. I'm okay. And I was rethinking every, what am I doing? Who am I? You know, what's happening here? Where are we? Why am I in my life? And then I watched it and I was like, yeah, I see what and he, I called him. What the hell are you talking about? Yeah. I see this here. And he goes, yeah, it's something else. And then, I said, didn't you see all that, all that yeah. grief? And stuff? Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I did. And I, I said, told no him. big deal. He's like, no, it is. I've been, I've been walking yeah. through. Oh man. The yeah, target I, today. Yeah. <laughs> I just thought. Uh, I've rethought everything. I thought coming here is just, uh, no, this is, I don't know what I'm talking to do. I was going to have a meeting and the whole thing. <laughs> you got to talk about this. I don't know what I'm doing. I had a guy in my training one time who didn't, he, he, were, he was working with me. He didn't believe in mind viruses. He's like, you can't just, oh, you can't do this. So the next okay. day I they called him at a time that I knew he it would go to voicemail. Mm. I said, Hey man, they released everything. They're putting everything out on the internet as we speak. Please call me back as soon as possible. And I didn't answer my phone the rest of the day. <laughs> Powerful. So that evening he calls me and he's like, dude, I can't find anything. I've called three private investigators. I'm having them search the internet. What are you talking about? Who's releasing? I was like, the Wall Street Journal. They're just putting out the news of the day. They're releasing everything with the news. What do you think I was talking about? Uh, I got to demonstrate it. It was so yeah, beautiful. I wish I recorded that stuff. Yeah, that's but it's, it's so effective that we we default, like Mark always says, our, we're, it's more healthy and safe for us to totally. default to negative. Yeah. Pat, pattern insufficient mm-hmm. data, we default to a negative. So if you, if you tell somebody something or give them some information and there is stuff missing, their brain won't go, oh, good, there's stuff missing. Well, that's a really yeah. good thing. I think we're all going to be safe. It goes, well, that's going to be a massive problem then, isn't it? And for some people, it will actually catastrophize. So it'll go, the world is ending. And it'll take them. Absolutely. That's the rock and bear. Go through that for a second. Yeah, so the rock and bear theory is if your ancestors thought rocks or bears were rocks, they didn't reproduce. If your ancestors thought bears, that rocks were bears, they were afraid, but they reproduced. So that's part of the problem is that we as human beings, and I don't mean millions of years, I'm talking thousands of years, if your family's too stupid to figure out that a bear is not a rock, they didn't keep going. Well, and that's so, this and that's, so that's really a pattern important. finding thing in human yeah. beings too. Yeah. And the reason that's so important is that when you are reading body language, understand it can get quite confusing. There's a lot going on. And when we get confused, we default to negatives, not positives. 
So most of your life, you'll be walking around the planet. You'll see other human beings. They'll be doing stuff. Your instinct will go, I don't quite know what's going on here. But Let's like make up a bad story, yeah. not a good story. Yeah. Now, it could be bad or it could be good. But one of the important things you've got to do is go, well, it could be bad. My instinct feels that it's bad, but I'm probably in quite a safe place at the moment. I could also presume it's good at the same time and find out a little bit more. Now, if you're in a really unsafe position, Go with your instinct that goes, yeah, this is really bad. Let's get the hell out of here. But if you're in a good position, you've got plenty of resource around you, you've got friends, you feel safe, then you can think a little more carefully about some of those instincts that you have. Well, that's really good advice for people. And I think the reason I'm focusing on this so much and the reason I think there is such interest in what you do is this is not something that I'm a Johnny-come-lately to. Since I was 12 years old, I have been focused on why people do what they do and don't do what they don't do. And that's a pretty odd thing for a 12-year-old to be focused on. But I was an athlete, and I had something happen in my life that really focused me on it. But when you think about it, we teach kids in school how to read and write and add and subtract and geography or whatever. But if you really teach people how, whether it's in social relationships or in jobs or as an employer or an employee, whatever, to really read and understand why a certain person does the things they do and chooses not to do the things they don't do, what an advantage you yeah, have oh, in sure. life. Oh, yeah, sure. Mm. To me, that's the holy grail, if you can understand what motivates people. I was living in Oklahoma City at the time, and we had a football team that was really good at the time. And we had great equipment, these black uniforms and silver helmets and wristbands. And uh, we thought we were badass. And we had a game rain out on a Saturday. And the Salvation Army coach called and said, we know you had a game rain out. Could we come over Monday and scrimmage you guys? And the coach said, yeah, sure. So Monday, two pickup trucks pulled up to the curb out there. And these kids came piling out. And we were such snits. We're standing over there watching. They got on blue jeans rolled up to the knee for football pants and the guy that lined up across me had on loafers for football shoes mm -hmm. and he had on a button-up shirt and he had masking tape on here the number four and you know we're back there saying how dumb are they why didn't you just put it on there with magic marker that tape's going to come off uh, well it was on there with tape because that was his shirt sure. yeah it wasn't a shirt. That was his shirt. He had to wear that tomorrow. Yeah. That's what uh, was on there was tape. None of their helmets matched. They were talking about, this field's got grass on it, wow. you know? Wow. They beat us so bad. <laughs> <laughs> it was like a track meet. That, that uh. kid, number four, hit me so hard, it still hurts when it rains. <laughs> <laughs> It was like they were clapping for a barn dance, going back and forth so much. I remember walking off the field and getting in the car with my dad, and I said, what happened? And he said, well, you just got your ass handed to you on a platter, boy. 
I said, well, I was looking for a little more in-depth answer. <laughs> a little bit kinder answer. And he said, they just wanted it more. Oh, yeah. 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 They were hungry. Yeah. And in that moment, I remember so strange that I was envious of those Salvation Army mm. kids. I, I thought, I want what they got. Mm-hmm. Whatever they have in here. If they can do so much with so little, I should be able to do worlds with, I got equipment, I got a grass field, I got a football with air in it. I should be able to do so much. And that's when I became so focused on why people do what they do and don't do what they don't. What was it about those kids that made them so much better than us? They were hungry. Mm. They didn't take anything for granted. They were appreciated every opportunity that they got. We took it all for granted. I, I share your passion for why. The body language for me brought, is what brought me to the dance. But I always say to these guys, I care about why. When I'm always looking at why the person do something that's mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. seems that stupid. You see people get who have normal lives and maybe they're underemployed. We were talking about this last night. Maybe they're underemployed and they don't feel like they're getting where they need to be, whatever it is. They're going to find something, some industry, Maslow stuff, they're going to find some way to industrialize their intelligence and use it somewhere else. And if they have good role models and good guidance, like these kids, it's going to go somewhere good. If they don't, it's going to go somewhere else. But we're going to use what we got. It's just a matter of how we use it. Yeah. And Phil, I like the way that you word this most of the time. And no matter how destructive or how negative a behavior appears on the outside, there's a payoff. And you use the word payoff often. And I think that's the whole thing that if, if you can discover somebody's payoff and, and what, what is that person's payoff from this behavior, then you can do, you can persuade them, you can get a confession, you can influence their, their behavior in the future. And that's incredible to discover, like no matter how stupid something seems, there, there's a payoff inside of there mm-hmm. somewhere and I've got to get down to it. Well, people think payoff must mean a positive reward, no, a no, constructive yes, reward. No, yeah. They're ignoring pathology. Right. Yep. Sick mm-hmm. payoffs are still payoffs. Oh, yeah. Comfort. I mean, yeah. people will repetitively do behaviors that we would look at and go, that's going to be painful but it happens every day for them on command. And the rest of their life doesn't have that repetition, but the pain does. So they stick with the relationship or the job or because they know it's horrible and they know when it's horrible. Or the heroin. Or Absolutely. I mean, there you've got a, you've got a clinical you know, drug causing an effect, but the, the, the equipment around it, the oh, yeah. people yep. around it, the situation, there's an addiction to the actual chemical. There's a chemical addiction, but then there's an addiction... Uh, or a comfort with the society, the people. I know they're bad, but I know when they're going to be bad. And, you know, I like the equipment that goes with this. And I like that I like that I do it every day because the rest of my life, I don't have something that happens every day. But that's, that's the reason I asked the woman today, do you have drama in your life before? Because I do think if a person has nothing positive to apply their energy to, they'll figure out a way to use it. And they're going to use it in a way that it's rewarding for them on some level we don't understand. And it may not be like a drug. It may be, hey, I enjoy getting out of this problem. Mm-hmm. Whatever it is. Well, listen, as a, as a behaviorist, one thing I've stuck to is once is a pattern. So the Humans are addicted. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The moment they do it once, it's like, well, that's going to happen again. We'll see meth, that again. You yeah. don't try meth. You just start doing it. We've got it. a tiny little thing in our brain like the size of a pea, like the size of a green pea called the nucleus accumbens. 
And this little thing is part of a pathway called the ventral tegmental area. And the moment that that thing says, oh, that felt pretty good, it it memorizes yeah. a pattern and yeah. says, I'm saving that to Do the that hard again. drive. I'm going to make that a <laughs> new that app. Again. That's a new app. But, but I think if you're, if you're, you know, if you're sitting at home and you're listening to all the stuff we're talking about with all the brain and stuff, it really is about practical because humans are going to find a way to use their energy. And yeah. w- whether it's positive or negative, you're going to find a way. And I think you, you found guys who had somebody who said, look, you're poor, but you don't have to be bored. You don't have to do whatever. And you know, I grew up poor in South Georgia and I've known kids who went this way and kids who went that way. Mm-hmm. And that's all, the only pattern I've ever noticed is who directed them? Did their parents mm-hmm. or somebody get a hold of them early enough and say, yeah, you're poor, but that doesn't mean you don't have any class. You can work your way out of this or you can work your, or you can stay where you're at, but you don't have to diminish. And some of them just don't figure that out. And like, I've got cousins who went long gone, long gone my age. Yeah. And you know, you observe and learn that stuff because it wasn't two years later that I was homeless on the streets. And I remembered back to that time and thought that was a lesson to get you ready for this. And I feel really blessed that I think everything that I've ever done in my life has prepared me for what I'm now doing. That's why I've been so intrigued with reading people. And sometimes it's not what they're saying. It's all the things they're not saying speak volumes. People ask me when I was doing trial work, do jurors really communicate with you from the box? And it's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> it's like the Navy flag man over there yeah, right, telling yeah. you whether they're buying what's coming out of the lawyers or off the witness stand or yeah. whatever. Of course they do. Of course they do. Sometimes they mean to. Sometimes they don't mean to. But they certainly sure. send you messages. And that's why I wanted to have this conversation and not look at clips, but just tell people, pay attention to what people are not saying. Because they're speaking volumes to you with their body language, with their facial expressions, with the total quality of what Mm. they're saying. And they can't help it. No, there's too many. It's like whack-a-mole. You can't can't put them all down. The more you control, the worse it gets. That woman was talking today about her husband in the audience. What does this mean? It's kind of like you ask your wife, what's wrong? Nothing. (laughs) Well, that means everything and it's you, (laughs) asshole. (laughs) It doesn't take a degree to figure that one out. So when you got into trial science a long time ago, 40 years ago? Yeah, 1990, 89, 90. Okay. So that was a time when body language wasn't a big thing. Mm -hmm. No, that's right. And you're a psychologist. So what was it that, that got you to say, you know, this body language stuff is important and I'm going to bring this into trial? Well, when I went to school, I couldn't decide whether to do psychology, law, or medicine. I decided I kind of wanted to do all three. So <laughs> I did mix. clinical psychology, behavioral medicine, and then postdoctoral fellowship in forensics. Mm. So that gave me law, medicine, and psychology, which nice. really helped with what I'm doing now because mm-hmm. I got a really broad lane. but What I didn't like about psychology was that it was somewhat subjective in outcome. You couldn't take an x-ray of depression. Mm -hmm. What were the outcome criteria? They smile more, cry less. Was there psychomotor retardation? Were they more active, less active? But the thing I liked about taking psychology to the courtroom is there was a clear outcome. You're going to go in there in a really microcosm of life you're going to have a trial, and at the end of it, 
12 people are going to go back in a room, hold an election, and they're going to be a clear winner and loser, and they're going to put a number on it. And I liked the competitive nature of that. So I kind of backed into it because it started out because my focus was brain and central nervous system on the behavioral medicine side. And, you know, somebody gets hurt on the job, they break a hip or a leg, you know, it's $150,000. They settle most of them. Somebody gets a brain or spinal injury. There's now a life plan. Damages are in the millions. They go to trial. They need experts. And so I started testifying a lot. They started saying, you know, we like the way you communicate this. Could you help us write cross-examination for the expert on the other side? And then could you help our corporate guy testify kind of the way you do? And pretty soon I started spending more time working on the case than just my testimony. Then the question started coming, who's going to understand this? What kind of juror are we looking for? Then I got spending so much time in trial that you just couldn't maintain a practice because, you know, you go to a trial in Miami and they say you're going to be on Monday morning. It turns out Thursday afternoon. You've been gone all week. That was a hell of a turning point for you to, to make. That. You could be you could be sitting in a small office wearing a sweater vest somewhere. Or <laughs> <laughs> as Mark would call it, knitwear. Smoking a pipe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Knitwear. You'd look good with knitwear. It'd suit you. But the thing is, you'd think everything was fine. That's the scary part. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. good, man. There you go with yeah. the organism. I got my knitwear. So you got these three hardcore lanes. I, so I decided to go guts, feathers, and all. So yeah. we yeah. built a full-size replica of a federal courtroom yeah. and a state courtroom. That would have been and fun. Yeah. We did... Um, mock trials all over the country and did graphics. We had a graphics department that at one point didn't shut down for over 400 days, 24 hours wow. a day. Wow. Nice. Wow. But that's amazing that you built the courtroom because that, that means you understood that the environment will run the yes. behavior. Like it doesn't matter. We can practice all we like around this round table, but yeah. the courtroom is designed to push status and Authority. push behaviors. Yeah, because the witness is at such a disadvantage because yeah. they come in and think about it. The Trapping. judge is elevated. Yeah. Yep. Trapping. Yeah. There's a big seal behind it. Yeah. And there's flags, flags. on either side. Yeah. There's an armed guard there. Yeah. They're calling everybody by name. The attorneys come in, they're standing up. Then the witness is sitting down yeah. in a box like yeah. they've done yeah. something wrong. So they feel really bad. That's why I'd said, you know, we started with the witness bill of rights and teaching yeah. them, no, right. no, you're in control. Right. The only difference in our federal courtroom is we had a jury box that sat 50. Wow. Nice. Because we broke them into, for yeah, federal court, we had six deliberation rooms all on closed circuit television, mm -hmm. all feeding into a control room so they could be recorded and then analyzed. And, you know, sometimes three juries would hear expert number one, three juries would hear expert number two. We could do all these different things to find out. Sounds you know, like a TV it, show. What yeah. it took, well, yeah. I was just going to say, what you, just you hit, make a show out of that. What you just hit, the whole trappings thing, all the mechanics of that, everybody listening to you goes through that every day in their life because, you know, Martha might not ever go to court and she got a speeding ticket. Well, they're going to be, behave badly and they're going to move weird. You may have to go to your kid's school and you feel awkward because the only time you go to your kid's school and there's a problem. Mm -hmm. All that pressure, all that psychological pressure is going to cause you to do, to feel stress and to start to bleed the stuff we're looking for. If you feel that and you go into place and you're feeling nervous, we're going to teach you a couple of things that might be useful to you. 
For example, when you're feeling that stress, curl your toes in your shoes. Nobody can see it. And it's a way to release nervous energy. And just remembering we told you that will do it. And you guys all have your I'm doing it right too. now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just, I think you're, all those trappings of power, regardless whether they're intentional or not, when people walk on your show, that's power. Yeah. And it's, yeah. Like the Oprah trial, the mad oh, yeah. cow case in Amarillo, we mock tried that, I think, seven, eight times. Wow. And most of the time we took our cases to trial, the client said the actual trial was anticlimactic. Wow. We didn't get pushed near as hard as we got pushed in the mock trials. Right. This was that's the key is stress testing people. Yep. Yeah. Is, is, yep. is giving them the worst possible the time scenario. They, got there, they said, that's it. Yeah. Inoculation is yeah. the term. They said, that's it. We, we're done. That's yeah. it. Hmm. I was out so. on stage today with on your show and still. I've been on a, a lot of stages. I'm still sitting up there going, okay, don't tap your foot. Don't tap your foot. Look at Dr. Phil. Look at Dr. Phil. He's talking. I'm, that's going on in my head still. As he's you talking, know. you're expecting something like this. I don't know if you can put this on this podcast, but you expect something like this. Well, that's like a duck with three wieners. Hell, you don't know where it's going to pee. You know, like, what? What do you, you say? So, you know, I taught resistance interrogation. That's what it is, is inoculation. Yeah. We put you through the process so you go, okay, I've seen this before. Yeah. It helps. It, it's I powerful. used to train exactly. people to go and negotiate with Walmart. Walmart had designed Ooh. their negotiation room like um, accident and emergency. You walk in and you just go, I'm I'm on a trolley. Here. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I have lost legs. They've designed it perfectly. So you walk in and instantly you're triggered into, I am dead. I'm yeah. dead in the water. It's brilliantly designed. But if you know it's coming and you've already yep. stress tested people, they can walk in with huge confidence around that. Or even it's if powerful. you know about the design, you have an appreciation for right. it instead of a fear for it. You go in that's there right. and be like, wow, that's brilliant. Instead of saying, letting it affect you unconsciously. Well, the thing I used to um, teach them how to use that design against them. So then when Walmart then employed me to, to work with them, they wouldn't take me into the negotiation room because they knew I knew how to play that room. <laughs> and they'd take me somewhere they weren't ever meant to negotiate with me in, which was their canteen. Yeah. That's funny. That's funny. That's the best place. The yeah. fire. Go to the fire. Yeah. Yeah. I, I worked in construction for a while. And uh, one of the people that everybody was afraid of, as you can imagine, was Donald Trump. Because he negotiated everything down to small contracts. Mm -hmm. And he had a system and a machine. You, Mr. Trump will call you between one and three. You know, They're getting you to capitulate before he ever gets mm -hmm. on the phone. Mm -hmm. It's a powerful way of negotiating. Well, gentlemen, thanks for doing this. Thanks for oh, having us. This has really been you. Thank you. useful. And thanks for everything today as well. Mm -hmm.